welcome back to another episode of Taffy Talks. I'm your host, Danielle, and today we are going to get into the topic of race and mental health. How do they intersect? How does one affect the other positive, negatively? And how do we in the Black community co- facilitate conversations around mental health and find unity and strength? What bonds us together and how are we able to move forward in a world that still has some fixing to do in terms of race? So, I'm so excited to introduce to you my guest today, and I cannot wait to share with you another amazing episode. On the books after this episode is a conversation about love and mental health. So stick around for this one, stick around for the next one, and then you get the gist. Keep listening. I'm Peace and Justin of Eastern Maine. I am also part of Racial Equity and Justice. I am 26 year old, six years old. I rap and write poetry. And I'm an activist. Uh, really happy to be here um, and talk about this. It's uh, it's definitely something that uh, I've been reflecting on my own self because uh, I've been becoming more a- active in my community activism, I guess. With that, so you're 26, you're past school age, and I think we're going to start with the topic of youth. So I know that personally. I started to realize, and I'm going to ask a really specific question. I realized that I was not white in second grade. I feel like whenever I say that, it's always so odd, but it hit me like a truck when I was in art class and I asked this girl next to me, I was like, can you hand me the skin color marker? And she handed me the peach one and I looked at her like she was crazy. And I was like, no, the skin color marker. And she's like, this is skin color. And that was the exact moment where I realized what my race was. So if you have a similar experience, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's something that I guess it wasn't just one experience for me. Um, it was kind of like a, just an overall rec- recognition of like that otherness that, you know, that you feel, um, especially um, in Maine, where it's a vastly white majority. Uh, so it was probably um, just like little looks. I have a white mother. Um, so as I'm walking around, being like, oh, whose kid is that? Or like, oh, like those those kind of little little comment, micro little aggressions. Um, so it, I don't really have a specific moment in my mind. Um, but, you know, when you're when you're like five or six years old, the the concept of of race you, 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 your little your little mind can't understand mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> like you like looking back, I, like I can be like, oh, they were just you know intolerant, like mm-hmm. they, they were just ignorant. But um, in the moment, it's like, what's going on? Like mm-hmm. it. So yeah, I don't really have a specific moment, um, but I do have the recollection of like oh, wow, I'm definitely being treated differently mm. for for some reason, and I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, so it was a more like a retro retroactive kind of realization. And I really want to poke on that point of otherness, because I think that's where a lot of the intersection of race affecting mental health comes in, because when you feel like an other every single day of your life, it definitely becomes tiresome. And for me, it was the little things that made me feel like an other, where if all my girlfriends were braiding each other's hair and I was kind of just sitting there like, okay, or 
if this is another really distinct memory for me. I was in a play in like fifth grade and all the moms like brought their makeup to do everyone's makeup. And I was like, okay, I'll sit down and get my makeup done. And they gig me so dirty. Like I <laughs> came away and I was like ash white. Like my skin tone was not matched. I was gray. And like, it was horrifying. Like all my girlfriends were like, oh my gee, we look so pretty. And I was sitting there like a ghost. Like someone just... <sighs> I looked like Casper and I remember like my mom and I had to fix it in the bathroom and we were just like alone the girls were giggling kikiing having a blast and I was just like alone with my mom as she attempted to fix my makeup and I think that otherness is really what starts to affect mental health so if you also resonate with that experience go for it and share I mean yeah that uh that otherness is real um in Brewer, where I grew up in Brewer, Maine, we were the the only black family, mm. really. Um, so that intense, that intensity of being the the only person of color. So, I mean, you're getting all of the typical stereotypes because when people are from some space like that, they they haven't interacted with any type of other culture mm. so they're pulling all all the tropes and stereotypes from that they've seen on tv like i did i did ath i was in a bunch of athletics uh was a good athlete um and constantly it was just like oh you're only good because you're black mm. like that, that was like a constant thing that i would i would get and another like so that that sense of otherness is like they so they'll point out when i like they'll point out when i emulating like my black male figures be like oh you're acting so black right now and then and then when i am acting like you know some of my like my, my grandfather on my my mother's side or doing some more like typically white things with some air quotes they'll be like oh you're, you're acting so white you're not even that black like so it's like this constant attack of of your identity mm. um and that that otherness is really hard um, when you don't have a base of like a solid base of black people around you too, because uh, you start to develop this this false sense of what it means to be black, because mm. you keep you keep learning it from like my whole life. I was taught for the most part, other than when I was with the black side of my family, which wasn't the most part of my life. I was taught about black people from white people, mm. and when that and when that happens, you get all of the misconceptions and racist uh I ideologies that come along with it and you internalize them and, and it's tough to to really sift through that now and or like i've been doing it for a few years now but it's 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 tough tough mentally draining work yeah and you make a really excellent point of like defining blackness and what that means because I have on multiple accounts had friends call me like the whitest black person they know and that is something where it gives you like this mini identity crisis where it's like what does that even mean like should I be proud should I be dancing to that or is that something where like I should wind up and try to slap someone after they say that like it's this question of what are they validating in me like what traits am I doing well enough for them to be like wow that's whiteness right there and I think that's really mind-blowing how that experience transcends between the both of us yeah yeah it's I mean I've I've heard that as well like it's it's just 
this uh, box that you're you're put into, and if you get outside of it, they remind you. Mm. Either that, well, that's whether that's being too black or acting too white. So it's like it's like this, you know, constant invalidation and policing of of your behavior. Um, that's really really tough to get through. Um, and a lot of this stuff is done, like what we said when we were four, five, six years old, and don't have the tools to even name what's going on. So it's it's uh it's really easy to feel uh, ostracized and like the like you don't belong. Like I remember just being a kid and just being like like nobody wants me here. Like I don't I don't belong here. So it's. You know, it's it's uh it's something I think that's one thing that we as black people all know we go through. Like mm. that's one thing that's like universal is um you know, being treated like uh a black person from, from a white person. Like everybody knows what that what that means. Like everybody knows what it means that when they when they like, you know, give you a little extra extra long look for a second or follow you around or like all the all the all the little petty stuff that, that happens, like that's one shared experience that, that black folk that black folk have. And um we all recognize the power it takes just to endure that. And it's something that I'm proud of us that, that, that we have that superpower, you know? Cause even all even though all the stuff's going on, we we're awesome still. <laughs> like, I think there's such a sense of resilience and that I also share a pride in. And I think as we like trot into the mental health sphere of it, I think what you mentioned is this like consistent sense of insecurity. It's a sense of, am I supposed to be occupying this space? Am I occupying this space correctly? Am I acting too black? Am I doing too much to where I'm allowing people to racially stereotype me? Like, and I think it manifests in so many different ways because another memory I have is I was in eighth grade and it was like field day. So it's one of those days you're outside from like 5 a.m. and you're having a blast, you're sweating and they were serving fruit and they served us like these big trays of watermelon. And I'm so I, afraid to eat watermelons in front of large groups of white people. <laughs> exactly. And I was sitting there and I was like gonna dehydrate to death and I was like, mm-mm. Nope, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> wow. This has infected every single portion of my lifestyle. Like I can't even eat this fruit. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's tough. And you know, when you try to when you try to express these these feelings, even like after I've like, you know, acquired a little bit lang- better language to to name it, you you can you're often met with hostility by 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 calling it out. Mm. um by 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 saying yo like that makes me uncomfortable don't say that it stems from racism and i'm not going to allow you to i'm not going to allow myself to be treated like that and it immediately turns to how how pure their intentions were Mm. or their own feelings about it and like completely disregarding what i'm saying and talking about their own feelings um, and that's something that that has ha- happens continuously when I try to have these conversations is um, if there if like there's a cog in a machine that that you had a part in building and I'm like yo this cog is messed up it's grinding and it's like not working instead of talking about talking about and fixing 
you know, the cog can make sure it fits better if it's lubricated. You're going to get defensive about how you you designed it and you try to do the best you could. And we're going to talk about you and all your insecurities instead of, you know, looking at this cog and fixing the problem. Uh, so that's this is it's mentally draining as and it is a, it's a constant thing. It's really it really is. Um, I mean, especially up up here in Maine, it's it's a constant, constant fight to, you know, just like it's the invalidation is just mm. regularly and constant and persistent. Um, I've been getting, I've been getting into more activism work and just the, the, um, automatic assumption that I'm there to educate, uh, white people and give mental labor for free it is astonishing. It's, it's, it really is like whenever I step into like any, like, committee meeting or anything like that like i'm automatically given all the responsibilities on everything that is that is black and it's it's mentally draining and the just the just yeah just the automatic assumption that they that is like i don't know the right right phrasing but just the the assumption that they deserve me to sacrifice myself for free and educate them and try to like yeah it's it's something that really is mentally draining and is is fit is labor that they're like most of the time just expecting it for free so it's really it's really tough yeah it's this additional stress that comes from something that you can't change like in most other aspects like if i'm stressed about how much homework i have I can do said homework and be done. The stress vanishes. If I'm stressed about what I'm going to eat for dinner, I can Google a recipe. The stress vanishes. But when it comes to the added stress of having to constantly be the one advocate for your entire race, it's like, I can't escape this. There's nothing I can take off. There's nothing I can accomplish that will allow me to finally venture away from this blackness. And it's this sense of, I feel like we've always, always been doing this from like day one. Because at least in my personal experiences, it starts small. It starts with those like little questions of like, yo, like, can I say the N word? Like, do you guys get sunburns? Like, like, what do you eat at home? Like, it starts with those like little questions. And then it builds up to the corporate level where it's like, hi, can you do a DEI training for us? Thank you. And if we go all the way back to those younger moments, it's this, again, ag expressive, like, when I, this could get my black card revoked because when I was younger like when people would ask me to say the n-word I'd be like yeah sure I guess and it's a sense of like you have to you want to try to fit in in the regular like high school sense you want to try to be normal you want to just be these people's friends without the blackness and then the stress hits of like but the blackness is there so now when this Kanye West song comes on do I let them say it or do I go quiet yeah, uh, that that resonated a lot. Um, I mean, and like like we like like you're saying, we're so young when we're trying to navigate this world, this complex world of blackness and whiteness too, um, because whiteness is also a created thing uh, that is was meant to create a sense of superiority over another people, um, and dealing with whiteness as a child is hard because you want to take the path of least resistance and you want to, you know, 
make it easy on yourself just to, you know, get through the day. And a lot of times if you were to stand up all, like all the time, you'd be under constant, constant assault. So it's something that's, it's really tough to, you know, choose your battles mm. and like how it, it constantly just thinking about these things is, is draining really. Um, I was working just talking about, we mentioned corporate stuff. I was working for bank of America. Um, when, when George Floyd was happening and like COVID had just hit. So I was, I was at home a lot. I was like by myself a lot was not in a good place. Um, and like was having a bunch of anxiety. Didn't even know if I wanted to do a corporate job anymore. And like, so I, exp- I was like, I expressed that to, to my managers and was like, Hey, I can't, I can't do this. I need to, I, well, I want to quit because like I'm under so much stress and like anxiety. Um, and they're like, Oh, no, don't do this. Like we're, we're like, well, we got this, like, well, we have resources and we got like, I uh, talked to counselors and that's that and the other thing. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, all right. But I like, so I spent, they spent 45 minutes on the phone with me, try convincing me to stay. So I was like, all right. And up, end up uh, saying like, all right, I'll try to use these resources. Um, uh, they were told me they were going to reach out, find a counselor in my area. I told them that they would obviously, I would, they obviously need to be black because a lot of this stems from, uh, some personal trauma I have through police officers. Mm. Um, and like, I don't want to have to explain, you know, blackness to a white, a white therapist over and over. Like, it's just a disconnect inherently. So two weeks went by didn't get a counselor, didn't get, there's, there wasn't any in their network in the area, uh, in the healthcare system. Uh, they were, I was getting calls like four or five times a day. And it was, it was, extru- it was a bunch of pressure, bunch of pressure when I was already not super stable. So I just, I just stopped answering and like put my hands up and pretty much just gave up on, on Bank of America. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, like two months I got a, I got a bill. I got I still was on their health insurance. I still was like, never got any resources. They finally called me and tell me that they're, they're like, uh, that like, let me go. And no, they didn't even let me go. They call, they call me. Uh, this is a convoluted story, but pretty much what happened is after about two months, I get a bill. I called them, told, gave them a complaint about the process. Mm and how like my mental health was wasn't in a good place they told me they had were going to give me resources never got the resources and that's dangerous um and then i said like for all like i hadn't heard from them two months like for all you know like i could have been dead like you didn't mm-hmm. you know reach out to me and so i go through that bureaucratic bs and finally got finally like told told them i'm fine i got the resources i need just i'm gonna quit like i'm gonna tell my manager on monday i'm gonna quit I get home one day. Uh, so I do that on Friday. I get home on Sunday from visiting my family. And five minutes after I get home, a police officer shows up at my door. Oh, my goodness. So I, I answer the door, and the police officer here is like, uh, are you like, are you Anthony? I'm like, yes. He's like, mm-hmm. your job's worried about you. Uh, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And 
so the so the cop goes away and i close the door and just like break down and cry mm. like it was it was scary it was really scary um and like i said i, I have tracked experiences with police and i had expressed that to bank of america and so since i had even said something to them about how their process is dangerous and like that i it could have been deadly if you if you don't handle these situations right to cover their ass to cover their butt (laughs) (laughs) they they called they called the police on me even after i explicitly told them Mm. that that my like anxiety and stuff stems from that and that's, and that's dangerous that's a dangerous thing that's one of the that's one of the dangers of, of being a black person with mental health is the first person that they're going to call is the police and that and that and that's obviously we've we've seen in the past very can be deadly circumstances so it's it's tough to navigate even how to talk about and so it, it's dangerous yeah. it's dangerous out here to have mental health issues and be black exactly because you stemmed on so many amazing points of a who you're turning to how to explain blackness to a non-black psychologist with like 86 percent of them being white it's the sense of if a lot of my problems stem from this concept and social construct of race how am i going to explain this without i don't know hurting their feelings like if i'm sitting here railing on the white concepts that hurt me how can i do that when i have a white psychologist or a therapist and with that this idea of trying to explain what your boundaries are in the concept of whiteness when sometimes they don't get it. In your case, police officers, and in my case too, and I'm thinking of something specific and I'll get back, but just this idea of like, when I'm with my friends and they put their hoodies on and I don't, and I'm trying to then awkwardly explain it like, oh yeah, I'm not cold, it's just my head is hot. Yeah, like my forehead is so hot right now. And it's this sense of like, how can I explain what I'm experiencing that isn't tangible? Like there is no, immediate reaction that will happen where if I put my hood up somebody's gonna grab me that's not the thing but how do I explain that that's a concept that wears on my mental health daily and back to the police officer concept like I also shared a similar experience where on two different accounts one there was this really creepy person around my house and my parents and I all black we were like "Mm, well we'll handle it like if they come back oh well and I brought that story to school the next day, and everybody was like, why didn't you call the police? And I was like, mm. <laughs> like, they're like um, um, exactly. They might think we the creepy people. Exactly. I was like, they're gonna, they won't think it's our house. Exactly. And there were so many people who were like, oh, well, like, you should have just called the cops, like, for safety. I was like, it is safer not to. And on a different account, I was with a friend, we were parked in front of this business, and we were just sitting there chatting, having a blast. Cop car comes up behind us, this whole, like, 20 minute long, like, I'm chewing my fingers nails off. And it's this sense of, like, he's questioning us, and I brought that back to my, like, large majority of white friends, and they're all like, why were you so scared, though? Like, he, it was just like, you just, like, don't park somewhere that late. And I was like, What? Like, y'all will do all manner, exactly, I was like, y'all will do all manner of crap in y'all's cars, but I can't sit in here and eat some damn McDonald's? Like, it was (laughs) mind-blowing. Like, it's just sense of, like, there's just so much to have on your mind while Black, and it's, like, just that intersection of, wow, what am I supposed to do? How do I move forward and just, like, live a happy, carefree life when I'm being held back almost? 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough, you know. Um, it, it's really you know finding finding the joy and your loved ones, people around you, and you know having knowing when to unplug too, like knowing when to just just step back and take care of yourself is it, a tough thing to do, because um, especially if like you're even semi conscious of it, it's it's a constant. It's it's a constant thing, um, so you know, just taking the moments to in, for yourself, I think, is one of the best things you can do to really to really fight that the white supremacy. It's one of the it's one of the things that is you know the our joy is constantly under attack, our our sense of belonging is constantly under attack, and you know to take the moments when you can to you know create a sense of belonging, create a safe space and people are up with you that you love and, you know, have joy is, is a direct rebellious act. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that I do. I don't always do it well. Sometimes I'd be, I'd be going down those rabbit holes of like, uh, you know, hyper concentration on uh, political issues, but, um, you know, sometimes that, that, that work needs to be done too. Uh, it, it is, it's a hard balancing act, but, you know, us as black folk being being amazing people, we figure it out. Yeah, and I think with that self-care act, some of it is really internal and some of it is actually external too, where sometimes it's me finding spaces where it's all black. Sometimes it's finding a black affinity space where I'm able to sit and sink and just breathe. The sense of like, I know I'm not being judged for X, Y, Z. I can share these unique, really minute commonalities. Like, wow, this is refreshing. Because when I went to see the pieces for my first time, I had never seen so many Black people in my life. And I was like, whoa, I'm able to find so much commonality. I can kind of put this act down. I can talk the way I want to talk. I can put my bonnet on. Like, I can really just enjoy the space I'm in. And... I think finding and seeking out those spaces are so refreshing. And whether that's in person or nowadays virtual, I think finding those spaces and fostering them so that they can give you back what you put in are, is so vital. Because when I am with my best friends who look like me, it's an entirely different experience. And it's so rejuvenating. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm working with racial equity and justice and... Um, a few other organizations that that I've get into, and even that um, the MLK day, mm. like the the sessions they had there, where they they had those specific groups that were destined destined designated for BIPOC people, and it's super energizing. Like I'm every time I, I get into off a of Zoom meeting for racial equity and justice, like um, talking about some some planning and some community work that they're they're doing. Or uh, I work with like a, a, some alumni from my high school who are all people of color as well. Um, so it's it's really once I get off, once I get into that space, and it's super energizing. Like all all the the doubts and like you know the stresses seem like that much smaller once you have that that space and that that kind of community because that's that sense of belonging is is elusive. It's, it's something that, you know, some days I'm feeling great about it, super confident. Other days it's like, what am I doing here? And to and for that that kind of reason that uh, surrounding 
you know, yourself with other uh, people who look like you, it, it gives me, there's a big reason why I, I don't want to live in Maine uh, a lot of the time. Because, mm. um, you know, that constant assault is is amplified when, you know, it's 94% the white, white people that in the state you're living in. So, uh, you know, just even, even just like getting out for like brief, mm. brief moments into like more culturally diverse areas of the country, it's, it gives you the, you like, you, you breathe a little, little like deeper and longer and like take more air. And it's, it's, it's tough because like, I want, I have this struggle of like, do I stay in Maine, mm. endure this and work on what the things that are that I see are as faults or do I leave the state for my own mental health and my own sense of belonging to a place that already like is more acceptable to people like me um it's it's a it's a constant you know give and take kind of thing I think I think that's a pretty common thing that I hear is like you know, I don't know if I can stay in Maine. Like, I want to get out. Like, it's 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 a it's a tough thing. Yeah, that's an excellent point. It's a sense of if I stay, and I think of it really existentially, where it's like I could stay and create a better state for future Black kids who end up having to be here. Or I could get the hell out and I could finally be myself. I can flourish. I can be the person I want to be. But what if I do have to end up back in Maine? Like, it's this question of do I want to create a legacy of change or do I want to chart my own path somewhere else? And it's this question that I know I personally can't answer. Like, every other day I'm like, "Eh, I could stay here. And then I'm like, no, 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 gotta go. So it's this question of where do we go from here? And how can we make the communities around us just better enough so that the next wave of Black youth who end up in Maine don't have to endure the same things? Yeah, I think that's that's a really, really, um, people feel that. Like, when I'm speaking to Black people around here, it's, it's, a, it's that constant confliction of bouncing for safety and health reasons or enduring for, you know, the, the youth and the next generation. Um, I think going from here, one of the things that, you know, have helped me is just uh, the unity that that's I, I can see now, like a little bit better, even though it may have been, like it has been going on for a long time. Um, the Black folks in Maine trying to create their own community here. Um, but I can see it more. Um, I'm talking to more people. This, those are the kind of things that, especially with where Maine's so big and everybody's so spread out, and our mm-hmm. communities are are spread out, the the interconnection of our communities, I think, is the the biggest thing we can do. Um, is like have conversations like this, um, come together, speak speak about resources we have and resources we can share, and have those like support bases are really, really, I think. The, one of the best things we can do and are doing in the state of Maine. I mean, there's some really great initiatives going on uh, that that really speak to that. So, I mean, it, I am I am always hopeful uh, through through all of these these struggles that we're talking about. One thing that does unify is music. 
So I think you know where I might be going with this. So when I saw your bio, I immediately, I knew that I wanted to lay out some questions about this. So you are a self-described rapper. How has music and creative expression been there for your mental health, been able to connect you to the community around you? So we're going to take some time on this. Yeah, uh, it was my therapy, my own personal personal therapy. Um, when we, when I would try to talk about the everyday racist stuff that was going on in my, my life, whether minute or large, um, my group of all-white friends immediately dismissed anything I say. It was invalidated on the spot and like, let's move on. Not even a second of thought given to it. But so a couple of my friends started freestyling and I started doing that as well. And I realized that when I was, when there was a beat behind me, they would, they would shut the hell up and, and, and like, listen. And so I realized that when there is a beat going on, like I have the ability to say what I want. Mm. And then, and, and it's felt like the really only valid field where I could do that um, was, you know, it was only appropriate for me to have a voice when I was rapping. So I would, I just write, I just write down a lot of stuff I was feeling and going through, and it, it was a sense of like therapy for me. Um, and it just really snowballed like that. And, and it's just it's something I I love to do. It's something I do when I'm super stressed out. Um, not really. It's not like a big money attention thing for me personally. Uh, it's it's you know it's my chance to say some stuff that gets interrupted a lot of the times that is a really excellent wow 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 i think that's a really brilliant point of how at least in my mind on this larger scale whenever i see these large groups of non-black poc and white people in general they'll listen to like kendrick kanye jay-z when they're talking about like deeply black traumatized issues but there'll be like a great beat behind it. So as this rapper is like mentioning about how their friends are getting shot in these inner city, street, inner city streets, they'll be listening to it and they're like, yeah, woo. But when it's the people that are closest to them, whether it's you or I, and we're sharing those traumas, whether it's similar or different, I think you make an excellent point of it falling on deaf ears, of it being invalidated, of it being that party pooper moment and that they just want to move forward. But literally, as we're driving from spot to spot, those are the songs they're playing. So I think that's a really brilliant point of artistic expression and who it's tolerated from. Mm, Yeah, I mean, Black people be creative as hell i mean <laughs> taking i mean there's it's just it's just amazing the the forms of expression that come out of the you know all the traumas and the daily you know atrocities that we violence is i mean it's really violence these are what things we're talking about are, are violent violent acts mental violence I mean, physical violence obviously um and what comes out, what comes out of that is uh, a basic power that you need to have just to even exist in in this world, and that's that's why black people are amazing. We out we're out here. <laughs> yeah, and with that, there's this brotherhood and sisterhood that I have not seen 
replicated in any other facets. Like, there is this acute sense of, this is a story time. I was in a Walmart with two of my white friends, and one male, one female, and the joke between my male friend and I was that he'll push me, and, like, I'll push him back, and I fake fell, made this whole dramatic scene, and this, like, random black person that I didn't even know was like, yo, back off, are you okay? And it was this sense of, like, oh my goodness, wow, there's so much unity here of, like, thank you, I don't know you, I don't know your first name, you don't know mine, but, like, there was this instinctive sense that he was like, whoa, let me help my sister out, let me help this girl out and make sure she's okay. And I think that unity is also what gets us through these darkest times. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's that's the truth is, you know, that that shared experience that we all we all have. And like, we all know everybody can use that hand to when because I because it's real easy because we know a couple seconds, a couple minutes, day or two, month later, it's, it, it could definitely be one of us. So that that sense of unity is really beautiful. Um, and, I, you know, I encourage it whenever I can. Um it's 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 a great thing. Uh, it's something that you work on too. I think it's a, definitely a conscious conscious thing that we that we we do um, because survival first of all. Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, like I think with a point that's so sombering that you just brought up of who's next, and this realization, at least for me, and maybe I just have a bad environment around me maybe it's my high school but it's this sense of if I were next would the people who are not in my shared race would they stand up for me would they repost my hashtag would they repost like the comical drawing that they can to do works like you with flowers around your head like would they repost that would they speak for me would they burn down cities for me like would they stand up for me and it's this question that, like, I hate not knowing the answer. Because I think some would, and I think others would try to justify it. Others had... <laughs> Shoot, my... Yeah, with my, my couple encounters with the police, we, it wouldn't be... There'd be no... Maybe would be gone real quick. <laughs> it's swept on the rug, yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's I, that's that's the thing. That's the other thing. Is like, you know, it's... It's tough, because... It's, it's like a... This, the unknown is is scary. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's the that's the other thing that happens. It's like you're constantly analyzing the situation mm. to see if it is because of your race. Mm. Like, it may not it may not be, but even even the fact that you have to that like if for, for to survive and to like make sure you're safe, that's something that you constantly are analyzing. Like, all right, is this this person just like not like shut the door in my face when I was walking mm. in the corner store on purpose or do they just not see me mm. it's like is it like like is so is that that kind of mental gymnastics that's going on all the time is exhausting uh so that that unity is that is that nice little safe space um where you know you can just breathe a little easier because that's a really great point of, and I think it feeds into my anxiety personally, of like, when I'm losing things, I don't know if it's a cop out in my head mentally or if it's valid sometimes, because if I get chosen over someone, it's the second quick blip of a thought that's like, 
was it because I was actually underqualified or was it because I'm black? Was it, oh, I actually misspoke and that's why I lost this debate round? Or did they just not like seeing a black woman win? And it's this question of hyperanalysis. And even with those really minute examples of like the door getting closed in your face, somebody like skipping over your order in a restaurant, it's this question of, is it me or is it me? And the question or game that I like to ask myself that's really sombering too is like, I cannot tell what I look like because of the state I live in. With this idea of, am this is very blank, am I ugly or am I just black in a white space? Like, do people genuinely not like me or am I just black in a white space? Uh, I honestly, the, the assault on black women and with the white European beauty standards in this state, particularly that, I, that I've seen when I've spoken to black women, it, it, it's super gross. Um, my, my sister went through some real, real, real hard stuff. Um, say friend, close friends saying, no one's going to ever date you because you're black, like asking what, what color their body parts are. And like, <laughs> Like, and, and like this complete uh, uh, like assault on the physical form and like being unwanted and sh- she's a dang model now like it's like it doesn't matter who who, who you are like and it, it's it's really gross um and, and it, it makes me sad yeah. it, re- it really does um because it's it seems so efficient like it's the the degradation and us uh, assault on women and black bodies is is so efficient because like the just some conversations that I've had I'm just like oh, like I can't I'm so sorry you have to go through this you're beautiful like <laughs> you're so pretty like it's it's tough yeah it it, it makes me mad honestly. And vice versa, because I've also been in these spaces with white women where they're persistently fetishizing black men. And it's this sense of like, oh, ooh, get with him. I know he got... And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you actually want to get with him? Or do you just fetishize him? Same with even that. Like, I've had so many of my, like, white girlfriends been like, OMG, like, you and this other black person I know way, way, way over here. You would be perfect. It's like, um... Okay. Uh, Thanks. Thanks. I uh, guess. So gross. Yeah. Um. That that the the fetishization is the worst. The I never been with a black man, white woman. <laughs> Can't. Ugh. And the like. I'm ashamed to admit. Like I kind of I looked forward to that as a kid. Mm. Like oh I can just I can just like have partners just because they like black people. That's great. Then you, then you grow up, you're like, oh, these people are not the people you want to be with, bro. <laughs> like, this isn't, it's not a good thing. Like, uh, yeah, it's like, like, I want to have mixed children, but I don't know who the, who Malcolm X is. Like, like, it's, it, yeah, the, the audacity that your first line is like, I know that was a black man before. I'm like, yo, you gotta go. <laughs> not today. It ain't gonna be today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's this sense of like it's this fetishization of like omg like the curviest most bivacious it's like um 
okay, maybe go head downtown, go find yourself a vivacious white woman. Like, I am not the one if you can't pass, like, this basic black quiz of, like, who's Martin Luther King? Who's Rosa Parks? Who's Malcolm X? Do you season your food? Like, just this, like, basic quiz of, like, are you ready to, like, protect me in the face of danger? Like, I have... Exactly. Uh, Yeah, it's... It's there's definitely that that fetishization is is super gross. It's like and then like that hyper masculine mm. example of of black men pretty much being like savages and and, sh- and like and that's where it stems from. It's like nah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be chill chill with you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live up to that whatever stereotype that you got in your head that you you want. Cause, yeah. And it, and it's you know it's it's. It's tough because well, the relationships with with white people is tough. Like you. <laughs> um, there's a lot of you know things that you gotta either either teach, accept, or you know just run. <laughs> yeah. it's this sense of trying to find yourself and like. Being an actual person who has swings of emotions, it's constantly invalidated. Like, you're not able to just show emotion while Black. You can't just be. Like, I had this phenomenon where whenever I wasn't smiling, people would assume I was angry. And it's this sense of, like, damn, like, can I not have a bad day? Like, my goldfish cutter died, and people would be like, oh my god, she's so angry today. And it's, like, this sense of, can I just be and find my personality? Because if there's this stereotype of like black women being these like loud vivacious caricatures it's like what if I'm quiet like is that am I not black enough then like what if I do want to raise my voice am I then just filling in a stereotype like can I show emotion without it being like oh she's black and angry again mm-hmm. yeah uh that, the point the point on smiling I, I got that the same same thing I was told to just to smile all all of the time and uh it's a uh, it's an inherent reaction now. Um, like when I when I see a, a white person on the street that's like walking towards me, put on a big smile so that they, they feel safe. Cause like that's it's safer for me to do that than to like you know keep my regular resting face on. Um, and like so you you've kind of developed these like hyper over the top like friendly black person kind of kind of intros. Cause if you don't, they're like they think you're don't like them or like mm. plotting something <laughs> like you just scheming you just scheming in the corner or something so like uh you, you get these like hyper good i'm the good black kind like intros to 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 especially like large spaces yes like like with large groups of spaces you get this like this hyper smiley like go lucky go lucky persona on to you know and it's and it's not because i want to it's because I know what kind of environment I'm in and I rather like rather not do it. But a lot of times like, yo, if I just smile and say a couple cheery things right off the bat, it's going to give me some space to like, just be myself after that. Cause it just kind of ease, ease you a little bit, put you at ease. Like yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to run up on you. We're not doing no drive by. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's like, Hey, how's it going today? Yeah. 
Exactly. Yes, great. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my goodness. Exactly. It's like changing your tone and like whether it's like making sure you're extra proper around like adults and older white people of the sense of like, oh yes, I'm Danielle. Thank you so much for asking. Or if it's like around other youth, it's a sense of like, OMG girl, I love your earrings. You're like so pretty. You're the prettiest girl I've ever met. And it like sexist credibility of like, okay, now you know that I'm not going to like swing on you out of nowhere. And it's a sense of like, can I enter a space and have a bad day? Like, I know that I am surrounded by some white friends where, like, they'll have a bad day every day and nobody writes it off on them. Like, they could enter a room and be like, hey, everyone, ah! And, like, nobody would care. Nobody would care. They'd be like, oh, my MG, I'm so sorry you're having a bad day. But, like, if it was me, it would be like, oh, my MG, call security, kick her out, get her out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's the dangerous world we live in because when you have a bad day, the first person people to get called are the police <laughs> with with guns and we we know how that that can turn out and that just only compounds on your bad day which turns into another bad day or a week and then you get into these these ruts that are really hard to get out of and you know a lot of times just there doesn't feel like there's any resources yeah it's this question of again and we're almost completing the circle with the question we ask at the start of where can we turn and how do we find a space where we can just be without having our mental health like exacerbated without having this constant state of like high blood pressure of am i operating correctly and could this cost me my life mm-hmm. yeah i think i think we have we've i think the unity thing is is a big is a big part of it sharing sharing resources coming together um, and, and you know, cause those, cause we are the only people know that, that know what we're going through yeah. and being able to, you know, have someone that can just be like, you know, just, just someone to like say that something happens, but just nod. Like, it's like nod knowingly. You're like, yeah, man, that, that's, that, that, like, that sucks. Like, like, so that you can, like people who can genuinely empathize with, with that feeling, you know? It does, it's not like, it's not really physically much or like, you're not doing a whole bunch of work, but that the simple fact that someone can understand what you're saying can be a, be a big relief. Um, when you, especially when you, when you don't get that a lot in this vastly white state. And I think that there are, especially, there are gems. They're one of my very best friends in the whole wide world. She's a white girl and I love her to death. There's a sense of like understanding there and community, but like that cannot compare to when I am in a space where it's all black or at least has a nice majority of, wow, I know that we all share these distinct experiences. We know what it's like to have your first relaxer. We know what it's like to get your hair braiding for the first time. Like we have this unique sense of unity. And I think as we build more bridges and have these conversations, I think who is able to hear them is also super vital. Where as we're having these conversations and you're sharing your piece through your music, I'm sharing my piece through these spaces, whether it's a podcast or poetry and sharing those spaces and hopefully just opening the eyes of the people around us who don't share that skin color experience but want to be allies they want to be united with us yeah yeah i think i think it's that's that's a beautiful thing um and you know black domain's doing some great stuff with the the kind of resources stuff that that we're talking about um and it's it's really it's it's some there's some 
like I said, I always, I always have hope. I always believe that we're, we're moving forward. Um, and it's, it's something that it's not going to be easy, but, but I believe, I believe in black people yeah. f- fully and fully and whole, wholeheartedly. Um, and that's, and that's a lot of the reasons people might think that like, I get passionate when I'm speaking is because like I hate or like I'm angry. It's like, nah, like I love these people so much that I'm not going to let you speak like that. <laughs> So, as we run out of time and we begin to conclude, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything that you want people to check out, whether it's your musings, Black Code Maine, whatever outlets you want to share with the world? Um, yeah. So, uh, my performance name is Almond Butter Smooth. Okay. <laughs> check me out on IG. Um, we over at Wretch, we are working on doing a Black Leadership Summit mm-hmm. the last weekend of February. Um, I hope you'll be able to attend. I will be getting uh, more information on that this within this next next week. Um, and then, you know, just I'm really happy to be here and share that this time with you. Like I said, whenever whenever I have these kind of conversations with a, another Black person or a group of Black people, it's super energizing and like gets me ready. Re- restarts everything and revitalizes my my spirit amen to that so with all that being said the sense of pride resilience unity and the superpower that is strength and blackness will always be there at the end of the day so thank you so much for this amazing amazing conversation i feel like we were able to really resonate with one another we were able to speak to what it means to be black in this state and on a whole and what it means to continue to move forward so i hope you also enjoyed this conversation and a special thank you for listening today to another episode of taffy talks and this time with our lovely guest anthony so thank you yeah thank you daniel <laughs> right. and we are done hey. <laughs> another one in the book i'm Thank you.